Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Laura Ziegler. Today is Friday, January 12, 2024. Coming up, as millions of dollars flow into the state of Kansas from National Opioid Settlement Funds, advocates are calling for the money to go toward public health over law enforcement. It's not just about the dollars and cents. It's about people's lives. We lost so many lives during the opioid and the overdose epidemic. Plus, one Kansas City musician is processing his grief through music after both of his parents died within months of each other. I would go to the studio and take half an hour and just write some music or or do something just to get my mind off of it. But first, some headlines. Kansas parents and families stand to benefit from the proposed budget, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly revealed yesterday. The governor is suggesting $56 million to create more child care and early childhood education options. Daniel Caudill of the Kansas News Service reports. Kelly says child care is too costly in Kansas, leading many parents to exit the workforce to care for their children. The largest piece of her proposed investment, nearly $30 million, would go toward constructing new daycares across the state. About a quarter of the proposed funds would go toward supporting existing child care providers, particularly home-based ones. Kelly's plan would give grants of about $4,000 to thousands of child care providers. And weather is our other big story around Kansas City as temperatures are forecast to drop into the single digits throughout the weekend. Many unhoused residents will be seeking refuge in area shelters, but as KCUR's Frank Morris reports, that's not always easy, and some would rather rough it outside. Forecasters are predicting sub-zero wind chills throughout the holiday weekend. More than a dozen local shelters offer refuge, but Patrick Thompson, who lives under a bridge on Brush Creek, says some of them are full. I called a shelter yesterday. They said that there is no room whatsoever. So if survivalists like us don't hack it, what are we going to do? Thompson, originally from Arkansas, says he prefers sleeping outside anyway. He says the shelters he's experienced are like jail, but more dangerous. So he'll take his chances under a bridge with a good sleeping bag and lots of clothes. And if you're headed to the Kansas City Chiefs game on Saturday, some advice from medical experts, wear layers and go easy on the alcohol. Medical director of the Burnett Burn Center at the University of Kansas Health System, Julia Slater, advises wearing several layers of loose clothing and limiting or avoiding alcohol. With the temperatures they're expecting for Saturday, we're predicting about a risk of up to only 30 minutes of exposure before you could start to develop frostbite. Slater says that alcohol can worsen or even hide the symptoms of both hypothermia and frostbite, and loose layers trap warm air close to the body. Kickoff for the Chiefs-Dolphins playoff game is at 7 p.m. on Saturday. And we'll be right back. Victims of the opioid epidemic in Kansas received some of the $10 million awarded to the state from opioid settlement funds. A portion of that money went to law enforcement to continue drug interdiction efforts. But Kylie Cameron of the Kansas News Service reports that some advocates say that's not the intent of the settlement agreement. Oh, yes, ma'am. Thank you. As millions of dollars flow into the state of Kansas from opioid settlement funds, 
Local and statewide groups are vying for that money to address the growing opioid crisis in their communities. That includes the Safe Streets Coalition in Wichita, led by Anya Kendrick Barnett. She and other members of the group pass out the opioid overdose reversal drug naloxone, fentanyl test strips, and other resources to community members for free. Coalitions kind of create that community. And then as a community, you come together as a collective and you advocate and you um, create programs and you see where the gaps are and you bring services to people. But there's debate on whether law enforcement should be one of the groups getting a share of the more than $340 million Kansas will receive over the next 18 years. The money is part of national legal settlements against prescription opioid makers, distributors, and pharmacies. A part of the settlement lists several suggestions on how the funds should be spent. That includes distributing naloxone, treating opioid use disorders, and supporting prevention programs. Law enforcement in Kansas, and nationwide, has received funds to buy technology and equipment it says will help them arrest people involved in the illicit drug market. Pat George is the chair of the Kansas Fight Addiction Board, which decides who receives the state settlement money. Law enforcement, by the nature of what they do, is going to always be at the forefront. So we'd rather work with them and, and try to, again, like we will with, with everyone involved here, steer them in a direction that's scientifically proven to be more helpful to curbing the, the tide. While Kendrick Barnett says Safe Streets applied and didn't get any funds, several hundred thousand dollars went to Kansas law enforcement agencies. I don't see law enforcement mitigating harms. The research shows us that law enforcement in, in a lot of instances really exaggerates the harms. And we really need to be responding in a public health, not a carceral, but a public health way. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation received money to expand its joint fentanyl impact team. The team, which includes the Kansas Highway Patrol, targets drug dealers. The Highway Patrol also received funding to buy fingerprint readers and true narc devices, which law enforcement says helps identify substances. The devices cost almost $25,000 a piece. But academics like Jennifer Carroll with North Carolina State University says the devices aren't accurate and don't provide quality results. It will be news to me if anything produced through a true narc device is admissible in court or an investigation. Enforcement isn't the only thing agencies received money for. The Overland Park Police Department received $195,000 for a van and equipment to distribute naloxone, fentanyl test strips, and other items. That's what groups like Safe Streets were doing in the community before law enforcement got involved. Carol from North Carolina State says people trust those groups more than police, especially to get them connected to other resources. So they are way better, like light years better than everyone else at getting the naloxone into the hands of people most likely to use it. They are way better than anyone else at getting fentanyl test strips and drug checking equipment into the hands of people who will use it. They are way better than anyone else at referring people to treatment. As the settlement funds continue to be distributed across the state, Kendrick Barnett of Safe Street says she'd like to see more money go towards coalitions like hers. Because it's not just about the dollars and cents, it's about people's lives. We lost so many lives during the opioid and the overdose epidemic. For that funding to go to enforcement is 
terrible stewardship of that money. And honestly, we should really be having a rally cry about it. We should be talking about it because the last thing we need is for our funding to be limited. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Kylie Cameron in Wichita. The Kansas News Service reports on health and the many factors that influence it and their connection to public policy. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, call the free and confidential treatment referral hotline at 800-662-HELP or visit the website findtreatment.gov. After both of Colin Thomas's parents died within months of each other, the local musician turned to his music to process his grief. KCUR's Julie Denishe has our story. In a room that was once his father's art studio, Colin Thomas sits at the keyboard of his computer. Here in Olathe, Kansas, Thomas has composed his latest work, called The Gauze-Eyed Gaze of Bracketed Air. If you listen to it from start to finish and let it slow down and experience it slow down, it feels so slow. It feels so long. Thomas began the composition after both of his parents died. It's four hours of distorted ambient sound with a melancholy piano theme that drifts in and out. I mean, when I listened to it, it hurt. And I really considered whether I should even do it this way or not. But then I thought, no, that's the pain of listening to it. It shouldn't be easy to listen to. Thomas says he was very close to his father, Larry Thomas, an artist known for his large-scale paintings and collages. Larry Thomas was also an art professor at Johnson County Community College. All that changed in August 2021. I was in a meeting and just sort of a normal day when my father called and said, I need to go to the hospital. His father was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma and died three months later. Thomas was left to find new care for his mother, Pam, who had Alzheimer's disease. It was truly a life-changing event for me because what happened that day was my father went into the hospital and I was in charge. I was the patriarch of the family because dad was incapacitated in the hospital. My mother didn't know who she was anymore. And so I kind of had to take over and take care of my mother. And it was hard. Seven months later, his mother died too. My parents, and especially my father, were such a huge influence on me for so much of my life. To lose them so quick was just a whirlwind. In that whirlwind, Thomas developed a way to cope with the loss and grieve for his parents. For about a year of my life, I woke up every day and didn't know what was next. And so there was no time to process anything. And what little time I did have, I would go to the studio and take a half an hour and just write some music or, or do something just to get my mind off of it. As I wrote, I kind of could see me feeling better. Years ago, I went through this <laughs> kind of stereotypical artist's creative dilemma. Why am I doing this? Why am I making music? And I asked all my friends, and I finally asked my dad. I should have asked him first. And he said, if I don't do it, I don't feel good. <laughs> God dang it. You summed it up. I don't know how you summed it up in such a short phrase. But it's true. There's, there's an itch in creative people that you just, 
You feel better once you do it. You feel better once you make something. Thomas knows this music isn't for everyone. It's tough telling somebody, hey, I've got a four and a half hour piece for you to listen to. So I, I don't know that everybody will experience it the same, if they even experience it at all. But it'll be interesting, um, this emotional ride that I've gone through, if it translates to other people. For now, Thomas finally feels like he can begin to move on. This wrapped up that whole era of my life. And really only recently, now that I feel like it's done, do I really feel like not only is the peace concluding itself, but I'm concluding this grieving process I'm going through. Thomas says he hopes the music can help other people in the way it's helped him. He posted the entire project for free on his website, colinthomas.net. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Julie Denishay. To see photos and learn more about Julie's story about Colin Thomas, go to kcur.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Laura Ziegler. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin and KCUR Studios and edited by Gabe Rosenberg. For more news about what's going on in the Kansas City Metro, visit kcur.org, the online home of Kansas City's NPR station. And don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Monday.